The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. Today we're going to be revealing inside airline industry secrets. A former top pilot is going to spill the secrets. His name is John Littlefield. He was once an Air Force fighter pilot and a commercial pilot for an airline called Eastern Airlines. And um, with airlines in the news more than ever, and these days it's not because of something that's good. I mean, we had Sullenberger, uh, the pilot who, who was a real hero. That was, that was good for the airlines and good for the people on the plane. But... Um, these days, it's just gloom and doom. More weights, more security checks, more bomber underwear bombers, um, all kinds of problems. More uh, because of the of the cutbacks, you get less. Everything is more, except for less food, less uh, you know, less of the comforts that we used to enjoy on the airplanes. So, what's really going on inside the cockpit and the boardrooms of an industry that holds our lives in its hands? I'm going to turn now to John Littlefield to tell us. And, John, before, before you do, my, my real question is, my first question is, um, why do you care? You're not a pilot anymore, and, yes, of course, I'm sure you, you fly, but why is this a passion of yours to let people know what's going on inside the airlines? Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the major motivating factors for writing the book is to ensure people that the number one concern of the pilot is the safety of the passengers. And they take that very, very seriously. And the airlines have been under tremendous pressure, and a lot of that pressure has fallen upon the pilots. And they're under pressure not for any reasons of their, of their own or, or shortcomings of their own, but because of all of the uh, regulations and new restrictions that have been placed on them by the, um, uh, the government for good reasons. And, of course, the airlines have always been under financial stress. Um, all of them, except one or two that have been around a while, have gone bankrupt. And uh, they have tremendous capital requirements and, of course, safety requirements being augmented all the time, which has put tremendous pressure on them. So my reason for, for, for talking to you today, I think, is to ensure people that pilots are number one concerned about the safety of their passengers. And I think that's the correct orientation to begin our talk. Okay. Now, you were a pilot for Eastern Airlines for, for 20 years. Yes. And um, you have stayed um, involved with uh, airlines, presumably. I mean, what what do you? Well, I, I, of course, I do want to say that you um, you have written a book called Death of the Falcon, which is a fictionalized account of the demise of Eastern Airlines. <laughs> and I wonder how much of it is fiction. 
very, very um, little is fiction. Yes, I would think. I, I was forced well, to change the name of the airline as well as some of the characters in the story uh, to avoid legal problems. But the, the, the facts are pretty much laid out. The timeline was changed uh, slightly because of... Uh, um, some pro- possible production capabilities that the story would have. But essentially, that's exactly what happened to Eastern. Okay. And, and there was, just to, to remind me, because I, there, there, did you, is, was Eastern, is Eastern the real name, or is that the name you changed another airline's name to? No, I had to use uh, the Falcon, which was the company newspaper. Uh, so Falcon Airlines is uh, the fictionalized name I for see. Eastern. I see, I see. Okay. All right. So, um, so now, so so since you've left Eastern, um, and I guess I guess you've been um, your passion to to tell people what's really going on um, is then has has materialized in this book, which has allowed you to tell what really has been going on. Right. Well, the story basically centers around union problems that the airlines have had forever. The airline unions became very strong in the 40s and 50s for reasons I set out in the book and I won't go into here. But um, the, um, the story, of course, um, talks about the, the problems that, that unions created with the airlines because of their overly powerful position that has since deteriorated since all the bankruptcies have gone on, but we may see that come back again with the orientation of the new administration. What do you mean? Well, I think the new administration is very labor-friendly. As a matter of fact, perhaps overly so. I just received um, um, an article someone sent me from the Wall Street Journal in November of '09, where uh, the National Labor Relations Board that governs the labor problems with the airlines and the railroads have been given new um, guidelines to permit unions much quicker and effective access uh, in the airline business. Hmm. Essentially, they're, wow. as you know, I'm sure you're familiar with card check, which is one thing they're attempting to push through. But also, um, the National Labor Relations Board has been given executive order from the White House to permit unions to um, access to companies without a majority of the union vote. It only needs to be a majority of those voting, which greatly changes the balance of power between hmm. a company and unions. Yes. Now, before we go on, what's card check? Oh, card check was the uh, uh, the end of the secret ballot. In other words, historically, uh, airlines that were voting on accepting or rejecting a union were given a secret ballot in which to vote. And now it's merely an oral vote, which hmm. um, can bring pressure on individuals to vote for a union by union uh, activists. Uh-huh, yes. Yes, I mean, yes. Well, I think I do. Would you want to explain it a little bit more? Okay. Uh, if, we, if we vote in an election, we have secret voting booths. Essentially, that's the same thing you have in uh, employees who are voting to accept or reject a union. However, if that's done in an open forum, you no longer have the secret vote, and those who are voting against the union can be identified. Oh, yes, and something could happen to them? Well, <laughs> Some pressure accident? could be brought on them. Uh, to what? vote for a union. Yes. So that's and those and those who don't could wind up having accidents. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think we're a little bit beyond the physical effort, but certainly in my book I set out many situations in which uh, the union, in the case of Falcon Airlines, 
um, put a lot of pressure on people to vote for strikes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk about... Um you know some of the things that I mean. It, you know, it is true. You, you uh, say that, uh, and it, how? I mean, there was more of a mystique um, to an airline pilot. I mean, there still is. Yeah. To, to, there, true in, in truth, because yeah. when you walk through an airport and you see these pilots dressed up in their sharp uniforms, and even the stewardesses or or air, I can't, I I can't stop calling them stewardesses. <laughs> yeah. That dates you, you realize, doctor. Well, uh, it's what, what do we call them now? Flight attendants, please. That's right. <laughs> Flight attendants. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I don't believe in being politically correct, so I've just kept <laughs> okay. this. Um, but, but, you know, there is certain, still a certain mystique. They're, usually they walk in groups through the airport, and you kind of uh, have all these romantic fantasies going through your head as to what they're all doing together back in the hotel. At least that's where, that's where my mind goes. Well, um, they're not all fantasies. Some of that is real life. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, but, you know, it is true that now with people being so, I mean, except for, as I mentioned before, Captain Sullenberger, and we'll, I, I'd like to talk about him a little more later, um, that, that because of so much anger that people have towards the airlines um, for what they're not getting and, and the problems they are getting, um, it, it sort of has tarnished to some degree. I mean, the pilots do get to be a part of that. The anger goes towards them as well. Right. And, and in, in defense of that, as you say, most of these impositions are created by the government. Um, and it's not really the airline's fault. They're just trying to survive out there. I saw, matter of fact, there's an ad, if you just go on the Internet today, you can fly from, uh, I just saw an ad, Houston to Baltimore, Maryland, $59. Wow. And, you know, you can't drive your car out of the state of uh, Texas for $59. Yes. And yes. extremely low fares. It's become extremely competitive, which has put a lot of pressure on employee wages and the ability of the airlines to continue to operate, some of which are, are not up, uh, recently have shut down, smaller ones. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I, before we go on with the sort of the, the, these problems and how they evolved over the years, I, I want to know, um, you know, I always put my guests, or I usually put my guests <laughs> On the couch. It's this show is called uh-huh. Dr. Carol's Couch, and um, and you're on it. Um, what made you, as a little boy, yeah. I presume that's when you decided to be a pilot. What were you thinking of? Okay, well, you know, I I go back. I get this quotation, and it's in the book uh, from uh, Da Vinci, who said that uh, once man has tasted flight. He will never again be happy on Earth. And I think mm. that's, that's just something that we still haven't gotten over. It's still, remember, it was just invented in the, in the last century. Uh, and look at the advancements that it's had. Uh, my God, from the, the right flyer to our new 747s and 787s that are coming online. Massive, massive increase in efficiency, great reduction in airfares. And, of course, uh, it's, it's the, uh, the glamour of handling all that metal and uh, taking you from one point to another with so many people. I think there's, there's just a magic in that that we're not going to get over for a while. Yes, but you personally, I okay. mean, how old were you when uh-huh. you had your first flight? 
Let's see. I was probably about uh, 15, I think. Okay. And it was just, uh, it seemed like the thing I was going to be able to do forever. It was very enjoyable. It was learning something new, something that most people don't do. Uh, I think you mean were, before you actually, t- do you mean you, before you actually took a commercial flight, like to just travel somewhere, mm-hmm. you started taking uh, flying lessons? No, I didn't take flying lessons, but a, a, uh, an uncle of mine took me for a ride in an airplane. I and see. And I realized that was really the way to get around. And so, um, uh, I just went from there. Actually, when I became, uh, when I was commissioned in the Air Force out of the academy, I was a ground officer and uh, hated my job so much that I volunteered for flight school and they sent me. So huh. it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was actually the disaffection with the job that turned me into flying, which I, of course, enjoy greatly. Well, that's, but, but you went into the Air Force, though, be, presumably, because because of this love of flying. Well, actually, I hate to disappoint you, but that was not my <laughs> primary motivation. Okay. At the time, I was, uh, of course, back then, everybody went into the military that could right. or get subject to the draft. So right. to avoid being subjected to the draft, I volunteered as a, to go through an officer training program. Yeah. Uh, and that's how I got into the Air Force. Yes, but, I mean, why did you pick the Air Force? Because the other alternatives were not very attractive to me. The Army was of no interest, and uh, nor was the Navy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that this uncle, <laughs> you're, you're not letting me make my psychodynamic interpretations here. I'm not. I'm your concept of what I should be, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a difficult... <laughs> patient, <Yes>. right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see what I can do again, to soften you I'll up, during, up the, during the break. Let me, we do need to take a break, but we will come back to the couch <laughs> and my guest, John Littlefield, uh, in a few minutes. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today with John about um, spilling airline industry secrets. He is the author of a book called Death of the Falcon, which we know is a slightly... Um, fictionalized version of what really went on in Eastern Airlines, which is very typical of what is going on. So stay tuned. You'll hear more from John and from myself. Um, We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking about the airline industry secrets, and the man who is spilling these secrets is a former top pilot, not only for Air Force fighter planes, but also for Eastern Airlines. Uh, And he's written about his experiences and what goes on behind the scenes in his book called Death of the Falcon. Um... Let's talk about you know your your passion to um, let people know what what really goes on uh, inside, and I guess I guess it's partly also to help to, to get people motivated, to get the public um, interested in trying to do something to help these things from happening, like what you were talking about before in regard to the union and all that. I mean, there are so many things, and I talk about a lot of them on this show that just kind of just blow me away, um, especially with our new government. <laughs> Well, it's not so new anymore, but um, I, I still walk around or drive around with a bumper sticker that says McCain, just so that people know I was right. Um, but in any case, um, uh, you know, I, I imagine that one of the things you would like to have happen is, is that people wake up and they get more involved in trying to make sure that some of these things don't go on. Well, yes, um... Uh, of course, uh, and all of this has raised a lot of apprehension in the part of the passengers who are flying around, especially when they hear about that incident up there over Minneapolis, uh, as well as the accident uh, that happened up there in Buffalo. And uh, Yes, I wanted to ask you about those, because I must say that both of those incidents have boggled my mind, and I don't know, I haven't really continued, I don't know what the, I mean, I haven't found an answer to, to what happened. Mm-hmm. Tell us well, about what you think. Well, I guess only two people really know what went on. But um, let me say this. Uh, airline flying is terribly boring. As a matter of fact, there's a quote in the book that says, uh, 
airline flying is uh, endless hours of dull boredom interspersed with moments of stark terror, which I'm <laughs> sure what those two pilots with Northwest felt when they realized they hadn't been communicating with center control for about an hour and a half, which is inconceivable to me. Um, because you're talking to them every 10 or 15 minutes as you're flying across the country. So it's very hard for me to imagine how two guys could have gone an hour and a half and not have uh, realized they were not in contact with uh, air traffic control. But, you know, it happened, and they claimed they were distracted uh, both using their laptop computers regarding a, a bidding procedure, which goes on every monthly. Uh, monthly. And uh, <laughs> it's... It, any time you have a situation like that with an airline, of course it's absolute national news, coast to coast headlines, and all of that, and everything is, you know, is, is hyperbolized. But um, that one is very difficult to explain. That's one in a more than one in a million, because uh, I just can't imagine how those guys could have been out of contact for an hour and a half. Well, that's it's, why. I mean, that's why it's hard to believe that. That it could be on their computer. I mean, why, how could they get that, two of them, yeah. get that um, carried away, that they could let that much time go by? I mean, don't you think that it's they're hiding something, either, um, I don't know, there's been all kinds of speculation that there was some homosexual activity going on, or that, or, or perhaps heterosexual activity with one of these stewardesses. Come on, Doctor. Homosexuality <laughs> with pilots? That would what? be the end of the end of the world as we know it. Yes, well, I, I think. I know, I know. But well, <laughs> you've heard that. I mean, haven't you heard that that was one of the things that was uh, one of the speculations, one of the theories that was speculated upon? Uh, you know, honestly, I have not heard that, but I can see how somebody would might reach that conclusion if they didn't know pilots very well. I, I can't imagine that uh, going on. I can imagine. Uh, I will confess that we used to fly these coast-to-coast uh, -coast night freighters with no passengers, except for a load of freight, and it would get drowsy about 2 in the morning as you're going over Nebraska or somewhere, and very little communication going on, no other airplanes in the air, not a lot of chatter going on, so you know, pilots might nod off for a little bit. Uh, I know of that happening. But for an hour and a half during the day like that, that's extremely unusual now how come the the tower um, if I'm using the right terminology to describe mm -hmm. this, how come when they weren't in contact mm -hmm. um, with with air control that I mean isn't there some procedure where air control I don't know starts blowing yeah. a big horn or something into yeah. the well there is what's called a used to be an old air rink procedure in which the company could ring a bell in your cockpit uh, if you weren't, if you lost contact with air traffic control for an extended period of time, or if they needed to get an emergency message to you, the company yes. could do that by ex by uh, sounding a chime in the cockpit, which would alert you to the fact that you were not in radio contact. And uh, I, I would say I would have to I would have to have some psychiatrist maybe give me a better answer for where these guys were for an hour and a half. Then um, that's really a, a do you know of a psychiatrist who might be able to help us with that? Well, well you didn't like my original idea. But, but <laughs> I, mean, I mean, so so in this particular case, did air traffic control blow, you know, make some kind of noise to try to get their attention? Do you well, know? Well, of course, they, they tried them on several frequencies. As a matter of fact, they were in the process of scrambling a couple of fighters to come up on their wing, and 
draw yeah. their attention to the fact that they were out of communication. Um, so air traffic control would not have had the capability to do that, but the individual company would have had the ability to do that. And I understand, not knowing, hearsay, uh, don't quote me, that they did attempt to make contact to them through a, a special air rink signal procedure, but I don't uh-huh. know. You know, of course, you know, as you, as you say, with the fighter planes, I mean, nowadays, um, of course, it's it's not only, I mean, it's a whole different ball game because um, when there is this lack of communication, of course you have to think, number one, is there some terrorist act going on? Well, the, of course, that was eventually, you know, somebody came to that conclusion. I think that's why they scrambled the fighters. Uh, they had them, of course, on radar right. contact the whole time, and they could have switched to a wrong frequency and never realized it. But when you switch frequencies, you normally check in with the with the next uh, air traffic controller. So uh, I say it's a combination of being a, a a very dull dull period when you're flying up there, in the, uh, other than takeoff and landing, when you're at altitude cruising across America at uh, 500 miles an hour, six 550 miles an hour. Um, you, I guess you kind of, <laughs> these guys obviously uh, signed off for a while. But that's really extremely unusual. Well, how come, when, I don't understand, why is it that, um, I mean, did they wind up getting fired? Because uh, why is it that apparently they refused to, to say what they were doing or they gave some excuse? Yeah. Why is it that they weren't, were they fired for this? I mean, how can they just get away with just not, Saying or giving some flimsy excuse. Well, um, my understanding is again that they are under suspension while the situation is being reviewed. Of course, they were heavily lawyered by the union lawyers. I'm sure mm. <laughs> to not say mm. anything other than they claim their story was that they were they were on their computers um, looking into the lines of flying or the type of flying and the locations they'd be flying to in the following month. Mm. So. But I, I just, I'm, I'm giving you a zero on this, Doctor, because I really don't have a good answer for you. Well, no, no. I mean, no, this is, I mean, I, um, this is a good update. What about the pilots in Buffalo? That was the plane yeah. that actually crashed because yeah. it was a, um, <laughs> it was a woman who should have been a steward. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. Um, it was a, it was a neophyte, female, um, mm-hmm pilot and a sort of a mentor male who obviously didn't do a better job um what what was the what was the result of that investigation well of course uh, it appears that they were taking icing uh, taking on a lot of ice as they were approaching for landing at the uh, airport up there in buffalo and uh, having flown in there many times i can tell you that is one of a, the more extreme weather airports you can go into in america it's right off the great lakes of course brings in a lot of violent weather very quickly. <clears throat> so the understanding was they were on the autopilot making an uh, autopilot approach into the landing system up there in Buffalo. And uh, when the plane began to ice up, it obviously puts tremendous increase in weight on the airplane. So if you don't compensate for that extra weight with mm-hmm. uh, a lot of extra power, uh, then the airplane is going to stall. Well, what, they, were, they would have probably noticed that a little sooner had they not been on the autopilot, but because they were on the autopilot, uh, the autopilot attempted to correct for maintaining 
um, the approach on the glide slope into the airport. Well, when the autopilot couldn't hold it any longer to keep it from stalling, it gave a violent, what we call nose-down um, attitude to the airplane. The purpose of the nose-down would be to increase the airspeed to keep the airplane flying. And apparently, from the records, from the report, I was not on the investigating committee, but apparently the captain did not react properly, and he attempted to aggravate the situation by pulling back on the control, meaning to attempting to maintain his position on the guide slope. And when he did that, then the airplane stalled and went in. Did I? Do you understand that all okay? More, more or less, yes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it, it is really amazing the, the stress that there must be on pilots, knowing that that, like as you said, it's it's long periods of boredom interspersed with terror. Mm. Um, you know that at any moment that you're responsible for all these people staying up in the air. Mm-hmm. Well, again, the system is very, very safe. It's very, very long tested. Um, I mean, did you used to? Well, well, I know we're going to be we're going to be cut off here, but yeah. I I, I want to ask you. Maybe when we come back, you can tell us about um, how you dealt with uh, this kind of stress, and also about. You know, the fact we were, we've been talking about some pilots' <clears throat> error, and um, that kind of goes into something that you talk about, which is how pilots uh, are, are forced to do two jobs because of the pay cuts and so on, are forced to do two jobs and, and use food stamps. Sure, so we'll I talk think that about was that too, too, which I'll mention later. Yes. Okay, my guest today is John Littlefield. He is the author of Death of the Falcon which is um, a slightly disguised view of what happened at at Eastern Airlines before its demise. Um, And he's telling us about what actually goes on inside these airlines. And it's uh, this is not to make you scared. At the end, I'll tell you all what you can do in case you're getting increased fear of flying as you're listening to this show. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with John Littlefield. He is a former Air Force fighter pilot and a commercial pilot for Eastern Airlines, 20 years as a commercial pilot. Never lost a plane once. <laughs> and, um, but actually, that goes right into what we were talking about, the stress uh, that pilots, 20 years is a long time to be feeling all that stress of being responsible for hundreds of people in the air at each pop. So um, why don't you tell us about that? Okay. Um, I begin by saying I was listening to Sullenberger the other, uh, a few months ago as he was testifying before a congressional committee. And he uh, stated that he had had a 40% reduction in compensation over the past few years. That mm-hmm. um, a lot of pilots, because of the nature of their work, have been divorced one or two or three times. And so, if you're paying alimony two or three times and your compensation gets cut dramatically, it creates a lot of stress. Not so much because right. of flying, but that's a factor. Uh, also. Mm-hmm. Because of the competition in the industry. Well, 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 but excuse me. Uh, well, oh, I guess you're answering that as to why it was cut forty percent. Is that what you're exactly? Going on to yeah. Okay. Because uh, of the comp- competition going on in the airline business, in order to, as, as I mentioned earlier, all the airlines except for two that were in existence prior to 1980 have gone bankrupt, and there are tremendous pressures on them for the reasons we stated earlier. You have all of these impositions being placed on them for safety, for terrorism uh, activity. And uh, you have new entrants coming in all the time that will take away some of your cream passengers. Um, the fair competition, fighting for passengers competition, passenger revenue is very intense. And you have extremely low fares being offered just to keep these airlines operating, which is why they have to nickel and dime people for extra baggage, extra weight, something they want to carry on, wheelchairs and everything levied on. And the airlines still really are not making any money. Um, investors are, have been staying away from airlines for many, many years because the glory days of the airlines certainly have gone, as you've noted earlier. Um, as far as stress is concerned, <clears throat> some of these uh, newer uh, supplemental airlines, the regional carriers, are able to hire pilots very, very inexpensively. And uh, as has been noted uh, in the press recently, some of these pilots who are flying for these upstart and regional carriers are, are making fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars a year. 
I mean, they can make a lot more money at McDonald's. Huh. But what? what? Wow. Yeah. And the reason they're doing that is they hope that someday they'll be able to uh, get, a, get a seat on an airplane of one of the major carriers and can make a decent living. And also there's a love for doing the job, uh, which I think is unlike any other business. So mm-hmm. from a – remember, pilots are really heavy equipment operators. They're, they're trained to operate heavy equipment, and they love doing that. And so that's why they're making the huge sacrifice to get started in the business with hope that someday – they can make a, a good living. I noticed in the case of that Buffalo incident, I think the co-pilot who lived on the West Coast somewhere uh, had been up 14 hours just getting to the airport from which she was scheduled to leave from. Hmm. So she had been already, in effect, traveling for 14 hours before she got in that seat to fly those people up to Buffalo. Hmm. And so that long period of time... Um, you know, stress begins to build. And also, at night, when the weather is very bad, all those alarm bells go off on you, and you're very, very alert and attentive. So if you have some impairments, such as loss of sleep for a long time, that can certainly affect your performance, which is, can lead to an incident such as what happened up there in Buffalo. Because it's never only just one thing that causes an accident. It's a combination of things that tend to build up over time. And I think that's it. Yes, and, and all, all those people were killed, right, in Buffalo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Horrible. And, of course, that makes the papers, and as I said earlier, it's front-page news for a long time. Sad stories about the families that have been lost and loved ones that have gone down, and maybe that was not necessary, and it really makes it, makes it a tragic, extra tragic story. Well, now, haven't they been uh, limiting? I, I don't know if it was just after that, but I, I thought even before that accident that there were, the airlines were trying to limit the number of hours that a, that a pilot could fly. What's the status of that? Okay. No, a matter of fact, uh, the equation has actually been going the other way because um, airlines used to have a lot of liberal rest period times, lots of hours between uh, being on duty, and those those little benefits have been taken away because they're attempting to get more flying hours out of the pilot for the pay. In other words, in the case of Falcon Airlines, as I point out in the book, pilots are being paid for 80 hours of flying every month, and they're only flying on an average of about 40. So this is a massive penalty that the airlines were incurring because of these work rules that the unions had actually had had been dragging in over time and constantly improving the job, which that's that's what unions do. They continue to make the union member more pay and less work as time goes on. That's been the history of it. And lately it's been going the other way. But wasn't there, I, I thought I heard, wasn't there some kind of call maybe by the, I don't know if it was by a passengers association or the FAA or or wasn't there somebody who was looking into um, the danger of yeah what uh, they were looking into on duty time uh, the federal aviation regulations which govern the operation of air carriers specifies how many hours a pilot can fly as I mentioned earlier and certain required rest periods but the unions had over time increased those downtimes or yes. free time and decrease the actual flying time. Well, now the airline's trying to 
survive of going the other way with it. Right. And so I, I am not aware of what you're speaking, but it very well could be. I'm, I'm sure yeah. that the, the unions are trying to go back to more easy work rules. Well, maybe it's one of these things <laughs> that's under investigation yeah, again, you know, the research into, um, into how long it's safe for a pilot to fly, after what point do they get tired and so on, those kinds of experiments is what I thought was happening. Uh -huh. um, you, you may be correct on that. I'm just not aware of it. Well, what about yourself? How did you, uh, over the 20 years that you were working as a pilot, mm -hmm. how did you deal with the stress? I, I never had, I, I had stress one time when I was hijacked to Havana back in 1971. That was a very really? stressful few minutes, but... Uh, few uh, minutes? Huh? A few minutes? What happened? Um, we were on the ground in Detroit, and... Uh, which was the first airport where they installed the metal detectors along with LaGuardia, I believe, with the other two airports. This came on with the big spate of hijackings that occurred starting in the late 60s and into the early 70s. And uh, this was public enemy number four or five, and the FBI knew he was in Detroit. They had staked out the airports, the rent-a-cars, the bus terminals, everything, every means of transportation to close in on him. And he called in a bomb scare at the American Airlines location at the Detroit Terminal, which was a great distance from ours. And he went through the metal detector. He was detected. He had an athletic bag with a gun in it. And the agent told him to have a seat looking for the air marshal who had gone down to American Airlines with the bomb scare. So the guy was very clever. And he took the gun out of his bag and uh, knocked out the, the boarding agent and went running down the jetway half the passengers were already boarded. The other half, when they saw him run by with a gun, decided they'd take the next flight and uh, went back into the terminal. He grabbed the flight attendant by the neck and brought it to the cockpit, put the gun, pointed the gun to me and said, let's uh, shut the door and get out of here. And at first, it didn't occur to me what was going on early in the morning. I couldn't believe it. Then I saw the gun. I saw that it was loaded. And uh, we just talk about stark terror. And uh, when no one moved, he said, I'll kill six of you if you don't close that door and get us out of here right now. And he said it with no more excitement than that, almost as though he were drugged. And so I got up and closed the door. And uh, we pushed off the jetway as the FBI was running down the jetway wow. to get onto the airplane to get him. And... Uh, we got out of there, and once we got airborne and going, he never came in the cockpit. He stood in the doorway with a flight attendant with a gun to her head. And uh, we went on to Havana. And once we got going and airborne, everything calmed down. It was just basically another flight. And we got to Havana. Huh. They took him off, and uh, that was it. We got back late that night in Havana. Uh, from, How did from they Havana. take him off? I mean, he didn't just walk down the... How, how did he, I mean, didn't he, how, how did he react when he got to Havana? Didn't he, I mean, he must have had some purpose for wanting to go there. Yeah, the, he was public enemy number, I believe, five. And, he just wanted to get uh, out of the country. He was trying to get out of the country that, to get away from the authorities. And when the, when the militants came on from, when the Cubans came on, he just handed them their gun and they handcuffed him and took him off. I never saw him again. And for about five years. 
And then five years later, I got a call from the prosecutor in Detroit who asked me if I were the pilot on such and such a flight. And when I said, uh, yeah, he said, well, we, we've got him. We want you to come here in Detroit to identify him. Huh. I said, how did you get him? He said, well, he was walking along the, the outer loop here in Detroit when a Wayne State County trooper pulled up and asked him what he was doing, and he shot and killed a trooper. Apparently there was another trooper there in another car who, who subdued him, took him in, and that's how they got him. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. So he had he had stayed, I mean, he wasn't extradited, I guess, from Cuba to here? No, he actually came across. The story we got was that he escaped to Jamaica, then into Mexico. I think he went on a banana boat or a sugarcane boat or something to Jamaica or Mexico. And uh, that's how they got him when he crossed the border, came to wow. Detroit. Wow, back to the, the scene music. of the Back to the scene of the crime. I guess he was tired of all those cigars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably didn't get great treatment down there either. Yes. Well, we need to take another break. My guest is John Littlefield. He is the author of Death of the Falcon. He's telling us all about what really goes on behind those cockpit doors. <laughs> that was you were your uh, you were the uh, pilot Sullenberger of the day, Captain Sullenberger of your day. Well, oh, I didn't know yeah. that about you. That's that's very impressive that you were able to fly under that kind of stress. That's stress. Yeah, as I well, say, <laughs> flying is also a great uh, self-preservation act. So you have to fly first before you worry about other things. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Well, all right, we do need to take a break. Um, we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with 
easy-to-understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about airline industry secrets with my guest, a former top pilot who we have just learned um, was his was the uh, Captain Sullenberger, um, saving passengers, all the passengers that were on your plane from um, from being killed, essentially. <laughs> Um, and and going to Cuba instead of where where were they supposed to go? No, we were supposed to go to Miami, Detroit to Miami. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, well, they got a little extra for their money. Yeah. Eventually got um, there, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about um, the underwear bomber and terrorism. Um, because, you know, um, I've written a book, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, and I am very passionate about um, helping people to live with the ongoing threat of terrorism, which is becoming more serious as each day goes by, um, most recently with the underwear bomber, um, who almost blew up a plane. Um, and, you know, it, it really bothers me that, well, first of all, you know, one of the things that I talk about in my book is how, and in general, is how people are, we're all in such denial about the threat of terrorism. Of course, now in the in recent years, we've been um, one of the reasons why we've been thinking less about it, except for when there's something in the news, is because of the economy that's taken our attention. But um, in general, we do walk around with our not wanting to think about terrorism, wanting to to stick our heads in the sand. And um, the only place that, or the main place that the denial is broken into is at the airports, at the security check-in lines. It's, it's sort of a wake-up call. Oh, yes, you know, this is a pain. This is, this is affecting my life. I have to take off my shoes and do now all kinds of other things, more and more uh, security measures. And it becomes a, a real inconvenience, um, not to mention <laughs> uh, life-threatening at times, such as for the people who were on the uh, underwear bomber's plane. But... Um, you know, it it, it is it, it's kind of it's very unfortunate that although, uh, except for 9/11 and and many other terrorist acts that go on every day around the world and that are not reported or terrorist plots that are that are foiled and that don't make the news, um, you know, it's it's um, it's it's certainly one place, the place where people are more impacted or more conscious of the impact of terrorism. And it is unfortunate that, um, that already, uh, even though, you know, it, it, we haven't had another 9-11, 
that we are, you know, we can't pretend anymore that terrorism isn't affecting our, our life. I mean, there are some people, as of course you know, um, who won't fly anymore because of uh, the risk of terrorism affecting their flight. So this is a, it's, it's really, um, you know, it has impinged, I mean, besides the, the of course, the uh, stress, the trauma that is still in our minds, um, from 9-11. Aside from that, in addition to that, um, there is this real uh, impact on our lives where we can't pretend that, you know, terrorism is just this guy hiding in a cave somewhere. So what, um, what, what do you think about all of that? Well, of course, it's all resulting in a great loss of freedom, and that's almost the intent of the terrorists, isn't it? And you know yes. the people who are, I would say, the most qualified to comment and on the terrorist problem are the Israelis. And I read an article recently about the former head of security for, I believe, the Mossad, if I'm right, and who kind of laughed at our attempts to um, to combat this terrorism. And he talked about how we are going about it totally wrong, and how. Without trying to uh, paraphrase what he said, because I may have it wrong, uh, I would just refer to what he said about having personal contact with the people before they even get on the airport property. And personally looking into their eyes and asking them a few basic questions, a few questions that will throw them off balance. And they're just so skilled at identifying these situations, you can well imagine. So I hope that the people who are charged with the security in this country are listening to what uh, the Israeli have to say about security and airport safety and terrorism and that sort. I really hope. There doesn't appear to be a lot of evidence that they are, because sometimes people in these positions can become very arrogant, thinking only they have the answer. Yes. So, but it, yes. Uh, an intelligent person would go to the Israelis and say, look, we've got this problem. How do you handle it, and how can we adapt that to our situation? And, yes. of course... I'm not a security expert, so I can't tell you, but I'd tell you what I would do if I were charged with the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Did yes. I answer your question? Yeah, yes, oh, and that is to go to them for their suggestions. Yes, I have flown LL Airlines, and absolutely, um, it's not so much about high-tech. It's about uh, person-to-person contact where you do have um, their security person looking into your eyes and asking you questions and uh, I, 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 of course, did what you're not supposed to do at the airports, and I made a joke about not carrying a weapon, to which he replied, oh, yes, you are, your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a lot of people who would agree with him. <laughs> they saw you coming. <laughs> um, one of the things I, I prompt, before we run out of time, I, first of all, I want to give people, um, let's let's give people your uh, information as to where they can buy your book, Death of the Falcon, which, as I said, is a thinly described uh, version of the demise of Eastern Airlines. Tell us, tell us how we, people can get that. Okay. You can get it from my website, www.deathofthefalcon.com. Uh, 318 pages, uh, hmm. line and a half spacing, number 12 print. You can't get more for 1595 than that. And again, that's deathofthefalcon.com. Yes. Um, and and people can also, of course, get it on Amazon and so on. But at your website, it's less expensive, and they can get a signed copy. Correct. 
Did I, did, John, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. I just, I didn't hear you say correct. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. And I do want to say, um, and thank you for being my guest. This has been really very, a pleasure and very fascinating to hear about this. Um, I also promised that I would tell people how, after now that I've frightened you and increased your fear of flying, what you can do about it, and that is to go to my website. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the, um, the CDs and DVDs um, that I created and narrate uh, called The Art of Relaxation. These were uh, on the in-flight entertainment of various airlines in the United States and abroad. And um, I created them after 9-11 to help people with fear of flying because of the increased fear of flying because of terrorism. But just actually you can listen to them on the ground and just uh, help you with your anxiety about all kinds of other things in our environment like the economy and, uh, and so on. So my website is, uh, is onvoiceamerica.com, is drcarol.com, but remember it's d-r-c-a-r-o-l-e.com. So again, John, thank you so much for being my guest. We've been talking with John Littlefield, who's been taking us inside the airline industry, and, and now we know it like we didn't know it before. So thank you very much, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.